Florida State Senate to the halls of Congress to now representing the interests of Jews across the world, Ted Deutsch has been near the tip of the spear of major issues impacting the American Jewish community for nearly two decades. Now approaching his one-year anniversary at the helm of AJC as the UN General Assembly gathers in New York, our featured guest this week is former congressman and CEO of the American Jewish Committee, Ted Deutsch. Don't push pause. You're listening to Jewish Insiders Podcast. Welcome back to Jewish Insiders Podcast. I'm Rich Goldberg. And I'm Jared Bernstein. Jared, I uh, hope you had a wonderful Yom Kippur. Your fast uh, went well. Gamar Tov. Gamar Tov, Rich. Gamar Tov. Uh, you know, it's really an amazing time of year in New York. I know winter's already started in Chicago. Um, but the energy that we you have these few weeks in New York during the UN General Assembly is unlike any other thing, even for New York. The traffic is horrible, um, but everywhere you go, you feel this as an international city. And I think it's really timely to have have Congressman Ted Deutsch from the AJC on this week. And, and we have another holiday upon us already. This is what happens in this season. It, it moves really fast. And obviously, uh, as you're listening here, uh, folks preparing for Sukkot, uh, I imagine you have a sukkah up, or do you have a sukkah in Brooklyn? Are you allowed sukkahs in Brooklyn? Whoa, whoa! Are you kidding me? The most most sukkahs in America are made in Brooklyn. That is that's partially true, and Denver for some reason. Brooklyn oh, really? and Denver. Yes, there's a big sukkah industry in Denver. They're probably from Brooklyn. You should look that uh, up. The, it's the, the so, sukkah sukkah's project, not up yet, but now. but. But very soon. Uh, All right, you only have a few hours, my friend. Few I, hours. Know, come on, I know. I know. Looking forward to you. it. I'll come help you. Okay. Okay. Um, but anyway, Rich, let's get to our guests. Could, okay. you, could you give us the introduction, please? I am happy to. Ted Deutsch first gained national recognition as a Florida state senator when he introduced and passed the nation's first law mandating that public pension funds not be used to advance Iran's illicit quest for nuclear weapons. He would go on to serve in Congress for 12 years, representing Florida's Broward and Palm Beach counties, chairing the Ethics Committee, chairing the Foreign Affairs Middle East Subcommittee, and co-chairing a bipartisan task force to combat anti-Semitism. One year ago, he resigned his seat in Congress to become the chief executive officer of the American Jewish Committee. And he is here today, one year later, fresh off a whirlwind of meetings at the UN General Assembly, making his J.I. podcast debut. Ted Deutsch, welcome to the podcast. Great to be with you. Thanks. I'm always calling you congressman. I probably will always call you congressman because that's what I've called you since I was a House staffer and then a Senate staffer. But what is it now? Is Is it Ted now? Is it chief? What do, what do we call you? Your, <laughs> uh, eminent, your eminence. Uh, it has it. It the the funny thing, Rich, is it for most everyone. It's always been Ted. So you should just you should now come along uh, and not feel bad about it. Ted is absolutely fine. All right, this is our TED talk. Just, this, just this Ted. Is that's it. TED this is our right. TED talk. Nice, Rich. I see what you did there. Yeah, good job. Did. Okay, yeah, Rich, we have some seri- serious news happening. Yes. Um, breaking news. So why don't we start yes. there? Uh, and then we can kind of get into some of the nerdier, wonkier stuff. Although I would say I want to give a special a special shout out to all of our favorite Rabbi Uri Pilichowski at the top of this podcast because we know he's listening. <laughs> Longtime constituent of the congressman and a prolific writer and commentator in his own right. So shout out to Uri. We love And you, always man. listening to this podcast That's and right. putting things in our mailbox. That's um, right. But okay. uh, yes, putting, putting uh, things in putting things in everyone everyone's mailbox, which is why we appreciate you so much. Uh, obviously, you're following a lot of what goes on at some of these college campuses uh, with anti-Semitism. Uh, UPenn uh, in the news for hosting a pretty outlandish anti-Israel, anti-Semitic conference uh, coming up. Uh, it's going to feature Roger Waters, uh, other uh, interesting characters. Uh, and uh, we just learned that uh, there was uh, some sort of upheaval, destruction of property, inside uh, Penn's Hillel as well. While this is all going on, the university president defending the conference, departments in the university uh, sponsoring the conference. What do you make of all this? Uh, what can be done here? Yeah, we obviously what happened today is awful. And I, 
look, we don't we don't have to connect every act of anti-Semitism, but when uh, when you see, as we've seen over some time now, more and more uh, those trying to normalize anti-Semitism, whether it's on social media or whether it's uh, whether it's at at conferences. Uh, whether it's at speakers, at, at uh, graduation speakers, at, at law schools, whatever, um, whatever it is and wherever it arises, uh, it feeds into this, this normalizing and it encourages more anti-Semitism. So I, we don't know. Apparently there was arrest, an arrest made in, in Philadelphia. Somebody, it sounds like, ran into, uh, into Hillel, uh, I think right after, right after services this morning, um, screaming some awful things about about Jews uh, flipping over tables it, it's it's obviously concerning um, we've been focused on what's happening at Penn for some time we joined a letter we uh, with some additions to to the letter that went to the president we thought that the president in addition to uh, taking the actions called for in in the letter, uh, should take additional action, and frankly, the the response from the president uh, had a lot uh, that showed her commitment to the Jewish community. Uh, obviously, we want to understand first and foremost how is it that universities, the decisions are made at universities. How is it these decisions were made here that a conference comes to to a campus that includes? People who are, frankly, at this point, Roger Waters is more famous for being an anti-Semite than he is for his work with Pink Floyd. And and how is it that that someone like that is invited in the first place? Her response, the president's response, vows to get to the bottom of that. That's helpful. Uh, uh, adopts the IRA definition, which is very helpful. Something AJC has advocated for uh, for a for a very long time. Uh, stands with the the students in providing security and making sure that there is no uh, that there's no requirement. One of the things that came up earlier was a concern that students will be required to actually attend this uh, this this horrific conference. Uh, that's not the case. Uh, vowing to to do a whole slew of take a whole slew of other actions focused on fighting anti-Semitism on conference on campus. All of that is very positive, and and I applaud her for taking that action. It still leaves open the question that we're going to get answers to of what happened and going forward. If this conference happens then there is an expectation, I think we all have, and a fear that we all have, that some of the worst things that have been said will be repeated. If that happens, then we certainly expect the university to act accordingly. President, I'll finish with this. President McGill told us that the, that in her strong condemnation of anti-Semitism, that uh, it is contrary to the institutional values of Penn, a campus with a proud history of Jewish activism, pro-Israel activism, Something that that uh, that we need to fight to ensure continues, uh, but if if the conference yields the kind of outrageous statements that we've heard, then it will be the time for the university administration to speak out forcefully and to acknowledge uh, why this kind of language cannot be uh, cannot be accepted as uh, it's so contrary to those values that not just Penn cares about, but the values that any academic institution ought to care about, which is making sure that the campus is a safe environment for everyone, including Jews, including the pro-Israel community, uh, including somebody who, who feel at risk right now. Well, thanks for all your work on that. I, the two things that stuck out to me that were flawed in the president's response were, number one, this attempt to make a distinction between university sponsorship at her level versus university sponsorship at a department level, as if the Department of Political Science or the Department of you name it is not the University of Pennsylvania. So I, I don't understand that. Like if I see the university school of something, the department of something, the center for something, which is part of the university sponsor something, that is university sponsorship and she's trying to claim it's not. That to me is outrageous. And, and the second piece here is that they actually do have precedent of canceling events. You know, they're starting to hide behind old free speech and all that. Actually, when they don't like the speech, they have canceled it in the past, and there are incidents like that. So uh, I hear what you're saying. I hope the dialogue continues, and hopefully this is a lesson so that this conference never comes back. That would be that would be the goal. The other thing that we've really been focused on, and let's uh, one of the things that AJC does uh, and that I'm really proud of is 
is we, we work to lift up the voices of young Jewish leaders. Our, our LIFT program for high school students, uh, the work that we do through our campus global board, uh, all, all of it contributes to creating the next generation of global Jewish leaders. That's true on Penn's campus. We've been working with the students there. I spoke there several months ago, had an incredible exchange with these really talented student leaders. Uh, and to that end, I'm looking forward to joining them tomorrow at their Unity Shabbat, uh, again, to make sure that, that they understand that not only are we with them, that, that this is, yes, an immediate battle against anti-Semitism, but more than that, and, and so much more than that, frankly, is as uh, one of the student leaders uh, said, uh, that we're never gonna stop being proud to be Jews. We're never gonna, be, we're never gonna stop uh, being proud to love Israel. That's also what this is about. And going forward, we have to continue to stand with these students and students across the country uh, who proudly advocate for our community and proudly advocate for the state of Israel. Congressman, I want to take you to the City University of New York because I am one of those people who thinks all, all worlds connect in the five boroughs. Um, and the president of CUNY had a, a similar incident and you know, failing to condemn what is can only be described as hate speech, letting it happen, um, and really being sort of flim flammy on the issue. And I guess my question one is, you know, are are you are we making any progress with CUNY? But two, why do these college presidents keep like fumbling the ball here? I mean, this should be this should be a a, a no brainer, right? Um, you know, and and time and time again, we see university presidents say, well. It's the department. It's not the university, or like, like what, whatever. And like, how is it, you know, so hard to uh, to say like this is bad? We shouldn't do it, and people who do it should not be, you know, sponsored by us. Uh, yeah, listen, I, um, Jared. I first of all would I, I just would I think it's important for us to not link every ep- episode on every college campus. Uh, we have been we have been highly critical of CUNY's inadequate response to anti-Semitism and their recent hiring of Mark Lamont Hill after being fired for his anti-Semitism. Uh, our director of academic affairs has been in, in communication with the chancellor over the past year. Um, there's anti-Semitism at several of the CUNY schools, obviously. Um, and look, the the decision that they made to recruit they made a decision to recruit Mark Lamont Hill to a professorship in the graduate school speaks to this same problem as the CUNY, the, the faculty, uh, the faculty voting in favor of passing a BDS resolution and, um, and the faculty that endorsed the, the law student uh, association when it, when it passed a BDS resolution, it, they seem to be doubling down on, uh, on their tendency to, to stack the deck at the, at their university with anti-Zionist, faculty members, and none of the, the chancellor's communications to us, I don't think uh, at all, have addressed these problems, which are, are serious and they're systemic. And it's, it's not, it's, yes, it's about anti-Semitism and protecting the Jewish community and thinking about what it was like to sit in the audience during that, that anti-Semitic uh, uh, tirade that, that, that uh, doubled as a graduation speech. But but for a university, this this lack of intellectual diversity among their faculty, the outbursts that we've now seen two years in a row in anti-Zionist statements uh, during the law school commencement, uh, if the chancellor is is really committed to confronting and pushing back against anti-Semitism at CUNY, then we've got to address these these issues, these deeper issues, and the culture that's been created there. It's not just through through trying to, to show allyship, it's through actually addressing the, the fundamental problem that exists. I just want to commend you and AJC for speaking out uh, after Hill's uh, hiring and continuing to push on this because there are a lot of organizations, I'm not going to name them, that have opted for, I'll say, collaboration, cooperation, trying to bring Cooney into the fold, believing that engagement's going to get some something done. Uh, you know, Hillel has them in their campus cohort now, and JCRC took somebody to Israel and says everything's okay now, and the chairman of the board gets honored at a UJA dinner or whatever. You know, all these things are going on, 
but there still needs to be accountability. So I appreciate when I saw that breaking news and I saw AJC with just a fire statement in there saying this is unacceptable. You know, we need changes, systemic changes. Thank you for that. Well, I, I appreciate that, Rich. For for all of us who who worked in politics, pay attention to politics. I mean, I think we all know, and it's I've, it was true when I was in Congress. It's it's especially true in the advocacy work that that we're engaged in at AJC. It's not either or. I mean, we we're in contact. We 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 want to be in contact with administrators at universities, and and uh, we look for ways to try to provide assistance to work through challenges like this. That doesn't mean also, uh, as we're engaging in that work, uh, refusing to, to stand up on principle and make clear why why we're engaged in the the work that we do fighting anti-Semitism. It's it's not either or just like it's not in politics. It, I worked all the time with with members uh, to try to to get things done, even as I may have been standing in firm opposition to positions they were taking, because principles matter, and that's. That's got to be clarity matters. That's got to be moral clarity matters. That's got to help define what we all do and how we approach this work. Well, this is a great segue because I'm going to still call you congressman for this relapse here. But, uh, you know, it's just, you know, I guess a year ago we're, we're at we're at the one year anniversary uh, just a little bit after of this very well-known, liked member of the House of Representatives for 12 years, state senator before that, that had made a lot of waves on the Iran front and had become something of a household name. And certainly for for audiences like a JI podcast audience. And and you suddenly abruptly left the House and announced you were going to become the CEO of AJC, which is a, a big job, but a, but a big leap from, from Congress. You're one year into the job now. Are you happy you made this decision and why? Well, I, I would know, Rich, you're asking me that question on a, a day when Congress is careening to a government shutdown. So, so yes, you're happy you're not in Congress right so, now. So, so that, right. So as I, uh, yes, I'm, I'm happy to not be in the middle of that. But no, it, it, seriously, I, I couldn't be happier uh, to be in this position with the opportunity to lead an organization that for well more than a century now has has as its mission the fundamental issues that I care most deeply about enhancing the well-being of the Jewish people in Israel and advancing democratic values and and in my first in my first year that's that's meant really leaving congress which is I think we can all acknowledge is probably the most partisan uh, place there is these days, and coming to an organization that has this unparalleled global structure uh, across six continents, advocating for for the Jewish communities in those continents and the closer relationships with Israel, and and doing it in a a nonpartisan and centrist way, uh, with clear values and clear principles leading the way. That's um, that allows me to to lean in really with my heart and, and and passion every day. So these are the issues I care about. In my first year, I, I've had the opportunity to, to engage and I, you'll ask whatever you like about the work that we do, but I would say in, in our first year, we've been able to expand our global reach, which I think is a, a keeper. We are a global Jewish organization. That's that's what makes us unique. It's the way, it's the reason that we're viewed as as such an important interlocutor for so many government leaders around the world. We've expanded our global reach. We've expanded our partnerships with Jewish communities around the world. Now, 39 formal uh, relationships. Just recently, I was in Uruguay establishing a, a close relationship with a Uruguayan Jewish community, terrific community that it is. Um, so around the world, and I hope we can talk more about what we've seen all around the world, in the United States, again, it's not either or, we're global. So in the United States, that means building our footprint here. It's why we opened a new office in San Diego. It's why we're expanding our presence in Florida. It's why we're deepening our, our activities in the, in Denver and in the Mountain West. And, and we've built, intergroup work is so much a part of what we do because to fight anti-Semitism, to look out for the Jews, we need to be, we're a small community, obviously, we need to be doing this with, with others. And so we established a formal relationship with the Congressional Hispanic Leadership Institute uh, so that there, we're building even closer ties in the Latino uh, Jewish, in the Latino community and our Latino Jewish work. We're building on success 
uh, in the, our Black Jewish work, in a new program that we just started in Atlanta to bring together Jewish and Black uh, young people, uh, high school seniors, to discuss our shared history and anti-Semitism and racism, and our work in the Muslim community and the Catholic community, the interreligious work. Uh, our Muslim Jewish Advisory Council just last night here in New York during the UN uh, had an incredible programming honoring the trailblazing work of, of Sheikh bin Baya, um, who's done so much to advance the relations between Muslims and Jews. This is, again, I, I couldn't be more excited to be engaged in this work all around the world and all across the United States, um, looking out for the Jewish people as I'm now privileged to do every single day. Congressman, tell us about sort of the interplay for maybe for some of the folks uh, who are listening who are not professionals in, in the uh, organized Jewish world. Um, talk to us about how AJC works with the other sort of main legacy Jewish organization, American Jewish organizations, who's responsible for what. Um, I always knew, uh, you know, at, uh, at the White House, there were, there were sort of the four, the four uh, Rebbies that you had to call, AJC, ADL, APAC, uh, and ooh, gee, who's the fourth? Um, I don't know, maybe they're not there anymore, but though there were, there were the four, you know, the, the four people you had to call when you wanted a very quick snapshot about what the depth and breadth of the, of the, of the community was, um, feeling, how does that work? Uh, you know, it feels like the community has become more specialized and has more sort of niche organizations. Um, yeah. t talk to us about the organized Jewish landscape maybe for a minute. Sure, sure. First, first of all, um, thanks. And Rich, getting back to your original question, maybe rabbi is what you should be calling me. If yeah, the the, rabbi. Um, I, I, um, and I, I don't want to single out any groups, but I would tell you, in addition to those groups, we work really closely with uh, with JFNA and our friends at federations as well. Oh, that was um, the. I'm sorry, that was the fourth. That was the fourth. I, oh, okay, uh, I stand corrected. Okay. That was the fourth one. I, well, well, Governor Perry, you, you won't uh, be president now, but, but well, but you know, uh, I, 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 I feel like William Daroff is going to jump on this podcast and beat me over the head because he was the one usually in the room. So, um, so listen, I um, it, I since coming to AJC, I I have. Um, I had a whole series of things that I thought I'd be doing in my first year. And then I started, and in my first week, Kanye went on his anti-Semitic tirade, and anti-Semitism uh, became a national, not just a, a debate for within the Jewish community, an issue that we care about and, and that we worry about, became a national issue. That took up an enormous amount of time. I thought we'd be spending all of our time on, on Abraham Accords and expansion of the Abraham Accords, something we do through our offices in Jerusalem and Abu Dhabi. It's a big focus, but obviously there, we're now having conversations about judicial reform in Israel. So th things, lots of issues come up. Um, it, it's because it was clear to me right from the beginning that collaboration is, is really important when you're, I mean, we're an organization that, that seeks to work on behalf of the entire Jewish community. Well, the entire Jewish community is 16 million people out of eight and a half billion in the world. So we ought to be looking for ways to, to work together. So we, uh, across the United States and our regional offices, um, some, there, there are different organizations in different cities and we work, I mean, I give all kinds of examples where we've worked with, uh, with those organizations, with JFNA, with federations, uh, with APAC, with ADL, uh, I could go on and on. There are lots of great organizations that we've worked with. Those, I think those are the ones you mentioned, uh, and uh, with Hillel, I just we hosted a, a president's conference for university presidents on uh, fighting anti-Semitism uh, with Hillel, the American Council on Education. We're going to be doing that again. I think that's an important way to collaborate. Uh, we're we're working together. Uh, the case I know, Rich, the situation you know well, the whole issue of, of Morningstar and and uh, coming together to, to really make sure that Morningstar in the, the face of uh, the, the threat of um, the recognizing the repercussions that BDS laws um, can impose uh, really stepped up and not perfect. And I know, Rich, you, you would acknowledge that, but there at least have been strides um, in making progress with them in finding experts to make sure that their ESG isn't used as a, a means to demonize Israel. Um, the point is whether it's been totally successful yet or not, there's there's collaboration among the Jewish organizations. I don't think that we, I don't think 
we, and I don't think we want to suggest to anyone that the Jewish organizations somehow get in the room and carve up the world and figure out how they're going to do, um, they're going to tackle each part of the world. Uh, we all have our different mandates. And for us, when your mission is to enhance the well-being of the Jewish community, right now, fighting anti-Semitism is on uh, on everyone's mind. It's front and foremost, front and center. So that's a huge part of what we're doing. It's a reason that that we work so closely with the White House in helping to to create and now implement the national strategy to commit, combat anti-Semitism, because this is experience that we had uh, in Europe when anti-Semitism was raising was rising there. We didn't think we could ever see that here, but we helped create these national strategies across Europe and in Latin America. It was only natural that we would bring the special envoys to the White House uh, from around the world to help them inform the process. So we're we all look for ways to be uh, impactful, and we all fortunately have uh, have great supporters uh, who work with us to do this work. I I think AJC. I I will say I I've been absolutely. Uh, so gratified and impressed to see not just not just the dedication of our our lay leaders, the incredible lay leaders we have, but the the remarkable professionals that we have here. And everyone brings something to the table. The challenges are big enough for for all of us to do our work. Looking for opportunities to collaborate with one another is is something that's really important. I've made a priority since being here. I agree with you on your comments on Morningstar and obviously still hopeful to see the remaining companies blacklisted uh, have their controversies removed. And then, of course, if we can get Morningstar to that to that ideal place where they've rooted out all the BDS there, then we have to start knocking on the doors of other other folks in the community as well. Uh, MSCI and others. What, what are you doing with these companies? So I applaud all, all your work uh, on the issue there. You're sort of like the State Department for the American Jewish community, as you've, you've described it earlier, and all of these different partnerships and, and, and advocacies and outreach programs. And I know on the local level, uh, AJC Chicago, other friends of mine, other regions, the work that's done with the local consulates on a constant basis is, is pretty impressive. This is obviously your you know moment in the sun obviously if you're the state department for the american jewish community it's unga your diplomatic marathon uh is on the clock how how is that going i'm curious you know interesting relationships you're seeing this year uh whether it's with india or with greece or or countries that aren't even on the radar that are just extraordinarily positive or or you're seeing opportunities to develop both for diaspora communities here in america for overseas connections to Israel, and then maybe countries that you're like, you know, this is actually really trending poorly and people aren't paying attention to that either. Yeah, so uh, the examples that you just gave are, are Rich, are, are a perfect example of the work that we do and, and frankly, the work that we're doing here. I, I'll, I'm just gonna use those examples because they're so spot on. Uh, I led a group of AJC leaders to India earlier in the year. People say, why India? What's, they're not a Jewish community there. They're actually, there is a proud Jewish community there. Um, uh, most of the Indian Jewish community has, has made Aliyah, but there is still a proud community. I was glad to meet with the community. There's advocacy we're doing on behalf of the community. Um, also, since it's a Jewish Insider podcast, I was proud to lead Kabbalah Shabbat um, in Mumbai, which was an incredible experience. Appropriate, appropriate um, and, for a rabbi. Appropriate for a rabbi. Uh, yeah. th- th- thank you. Spartak Shul, by the way, didn't didn't know any of the tunes, still managed to work my way through. But um, but we the other thing that we did while we were there, in addition to meeting the Jewish community, is I mean, here's AJC. We're a we're a global NGO, but I, we represent the Jewish community. We had meetings with the the foreign minister Ajay Shankar and and the defense minister in India. Um, and at the time, even then, people said, "Why?" Well. There was conversation, we were engaged in conversation months ago about what it would mean if we could connect India uh, through, if we could connect India uh, through the Middle East, through Saudi, Saudi Arabia, and uh, and then onto the UAE and Israel and Jordan, uh, and then into Europe from there. Uh, that was a conversation that took place months ago. It's the same conversation that we've had with, uh, it's the same conversation that we've had with uh, our contacts in the White House. We talked about this in Congress. Uh, we talked about this in our, our meetings with Saudi, uh, with the Saudis. 
Uh, and obviously with our, our friends from Israel as a, a proud Israel uh, advocacy organization as well. So that was the conversation in India. Fast forward to uh, just today when we had a, a terrific meeting with the president of Cyprus. We met with the foreign minister, the foreign minister and the uh, and foreign ministers of Greece and Cyprus came to our office. AJC has long been involved in helping to, to build up the three plus one uh, Israel, Cyprus and Greece with the United States, the opportunities in the Eastern Med. So we had meetings today where there is real excitement about the prospect of that rail line and the uh, being able to come through those countries, ultimately benefiting uh, the three plus one and uh, and Europe. And I don't want to get too in the weeds, but uh, we also talked in India about I2U2, the India, uh, Israel, United States, UAE, and uh, and today, in, in conversations here, we've been talking about how to expand I2U2 to include other countries. The fact is, we're engaged literally every day. We have some, we have somebody in India. We have people who are. We have an office in Abu Dhabi. Uh, we're, we've been going to the Gulf for decades. We're engaged in the kind of ongoing diplomacy all around the world, and as you point out. Uh, in consulates around the United States, in embassies in Washington, and here at our, our Jacob Blaustein Institute at the United Nations, it doesn't. What happens this week isn't just a one-off where we're we're uh, making nice with um, with world leaders. Uh, it's it's really the opportunity for us to reflect on everything we've done throughout the year and how to prepare for greater advocacy that can strengthen Israel's place in the world, build upon the Abraham Accords, create greater opportunities, and Rich, as you point out. Uh, our intergroup work is so important. The, the Congressional Hellenic Israel Alliance, something that I was proud to start when I was in Congress with AJC's assistance, um, this is something that brings together the Jewish community and the Greek community. We now have the opportunity to bring the Indian diaspora into these same conversations. Uh, it strengthens the it strengthens the position of the Jewish community. It strengthens the position of Israel. It's why this is such an important part of the work we do, and it's what we've been doing here in New York all week. Well, that's exciting. And, and I, your trip to India, also very exciting. I've gotten to know a lot of leaders in the Hindu American community over the last few years. And the common values, the common interests, uh, the way that they operate as, as a diaspora community and the Jewish community, um, the way that they have uh, been undergoing persecution uh, in many, many college campuses and organizations, corporations for being Hindu and, and the way they treat, there's so many connections there and so much opportunity. So uh, I'm anything I can do to help there. I think that's great. I think that's great. I want to ask you about two issues Rich and I talk about a lot, and that is uh, the current state of play vis-a-vis -vis Iran and the potential for Saudi-Israel normalization. Um I wanted to hear your take on both, if we could. I'm sure Rich will have some follow-ups, but maybe we start with Iran, uh, recent prisoner swap, um, some assets being unfrozen, obviously a lot of uh, significant criticism uh, in the in the pro-Israel community, including my co-host. I uh, wanted to hear your take on it. Uh, sure. I, I um, Let me let me start with the, the prisoner deal. I I this one's personal for me, and I I know. Look, no nobody believes. Let me let's start with what we all agree. This this regime in Tehran and the way that it is hell bent on developing nuclear weapons, uh, on violating human rights uh, violently every day in its country, uh, in uh, within Iran. Uh, the way that it seeks to destabilize the entire region, its support for terror, the fact that it's providing killer drones to Russia to use to kill Europeans, to kill Ukrainians, um, all, everything that Iran is doing uh, is something that we should be standing against. As an aside, the fact that Raisi was welcomed on stages across New York this week uh, is outrageous. And there there needs to be some moral clarity in the way that we go about uh, our work. And you can't simultaneously look at this horrific human rights abuser, the uh, danger to the world, uh, someone whose uh, who's terrorists are responsible for killing Jews uh, around the world 
and still welcome him as if he's just some just one of the 193 uh, leaders uh, in the United Nations. So we all agree with that. On the prisoner exchange, this one's personal for me. I represented Bob Levinson, the longest held American in history. And Bob uh, and, and the, the challenge that Bob's family had led us in, in getting access to people in the, in the government who cared about them, who would listen to them, led to the creation of the Robert Levinson uh, Hostage Taking Accountability Act. One of the things I'm, I'm frankly most proud of having done in Congress, um, I, I spent a lot of time with the families of, of Americans uh, wrongfully detained and held hostage. Uh, and I am glad that they're home. Uh, that said, and we can argue over whether the price was high, and but the one thing we have to work on together now is to ensure that this money, which has has very tight strings attached, yes, money is fungible. We all acknowledge that, but we at least have to make sure, as we've been doing in our meetings here this week, that the with both the United States and countries around the world, that the money that goes uh, through Qatar is only going to go for humanitarian purposes. I understand people roll their eyes. It's important for us to do that because that's where we are. I am glad that they're home. At the same time, we need to, to impose, uh, and I'm glad that sanctions were imposed on Ahmadinejad, but we're here, we're in New York uh, with an Iranian government where, where some of those who have read notices that Interpol put in place calling for their arrest in connection with the bombing of the Amiya Jewish Center um, were part of the Iranian government. No one's arrested them. Still no justice in connection with what happened in Buenos Aires now over 29 years ago. Um, so Iran is a, is, a, is a huge problem. I'll say one last thing about Iran, which is uh, the United States, after in advance of and following Russia's invasion of Ukraine, made very clear that uh, that we needed to stand on the side uh, of of the Ukrainian people against Russia's illegal invasion. We've continued to do that. It's the right thing. AJC firmly supports that position. Um, and I mention it because at this point, the United States should be taking the lead, particularly as we're here just after uh, weapons inspectors were kicked out, uh, nuclear inspectors rather, were kicked out of Iran. The head of the IAEA uh, almost threw up his hands. I uh, can't believe that there's not more outrage. Uh, we need to lead the way in standing up to Iran's ongoing dangerous behavior. Uh, the director general of uh, the, the head of the IAEA, uh, Rafael Grossi, made clear that only countries that want nuclear weapons and rich the way that they are. We have to lead the world in standing up to that. Uh, the, the fact that Europeans are now uh, are now dying at the hands of Russians using Iranian manufactured drones is part of that. So uh, there's this has been a big topic of all of our meetings since we've been in uh, in New York all week. Yeah, you know, we talk about Levinson, um, his daughter, Sarah, uh, and I co-authored a piece uh, a few months ago after uh, Evan Gershkovich was uh, was taken hostage uh, in Russia. And we were talking about the fact that the administration had not used the Levinson Act at all, uh, was not putting any pressure on hostage takers, was not naming and shaming, was not using a more offensive style playbook. Um, and we were retreating to this defensive playbook on our hostage policy. And in fact, potentially contemplating releasing the $6 billion uh, in addition. And so uh, to me, it was a little bit of a stick in the eye that not only from Tehran's perspective, did we wait until $6 billion was made available, $1.2 billion per person uh, to, to have them released. But then on top of it, right afterwards, that's the moment where the administration decided to implement the Levinson Act and impose sanctions on Mahmoud Ahmadinejad, right? You know, two presidents ago in Iran for, for taking Levinson. And it's like, come on, guys, you know, jo the joke's on us here. I mean, come on. But if this was actually a hostage deal, Congressman, Ted, Rabbi, I, I would say, wow, $1.2 billion per American. Like, wow, we're guaranteeing more hostage taking. And I understand that they're saying there's 
oversight. The Qataris, by the way, the Qataris, right, known for their uh, good prudence of, of money when it comes to terrorists and organizations. The Qataris will be in charge of the oversight of $6 billion, not to mention the $10 billion that already moved out of Iraq to Oman, what the Omanis are in charge of. But I, I think the things for everybody to remember is it's not actually a hostage deal. This is a nuclear deal that's going on. $6 billion did not actually get you know, used to, to get five Americans out. It kind of defies logic. We would pay that much for an American. So from Iran's perspective, my fear is they see access to cash. They see liquidity. They see budget support. They see balance of payments crisis being averted at the same time that you you note that they're being welcomed to New York with red notices and you know pressure is not being brought to bear at the IAEA, the director general is being undercut. So I, I, I think this is a, a very alarming moment. The good news is it's all relatively one-time cash, short-term policymaking uh, unwisely by the administration. And to the extent that Congress on a bipartisan basis can try to reconstitute some sort of accountability and, and pressure campaign, you know, I think long-term is, is still the solution. Right. I, so I would just, I, I, I want to chime in on the side, I wanna, uh, on the side of, of bipartisanship and, uh, and the importance of it at this moment. I, I understand there, I, obviously I understand politics, um, but there, we need to look for ways where we all ought to be able to, to, uh, come together and on, on Iran policy, and for me, the I, we, I've already described and we know all the things that Iran does. But when the um, when we're looking at the uh, expiration of the missile technology ban, which was part of the original uh, the original deal, that's coming now in in March. We're a month away from that. We all ought to be able to agree that standing together, and I, this is true for Congress, it's true for the administration, um, it's true for all of us on the outside, who uh, every group, it doesn't matter what your politics are, we ought to be able to stand against uh, the ability, uh, against uh, Iran's efforts to have the capability to deliver nuclear payloads and to and to use missiles um, that can that can inflict harm around the world. So we ought to be able to do that. And we ought to be able to come together at a, again, at a time when, uh, when Europe understands the threat from Iran firsthand, because Europeans are dying at the hands of Iranian weapons, these killer drones, we ought to be able to come together uh, and, and respond to Grossi's comments and take action at the IAEA and not let Iran get away with kicking out inspectors and, and doing what they normally do, which is make some vague promises ahead of uh, IAEA meetings, but then failing to follow through uh, after after the dust settles. So we that's that's how we're approaching this. We think it's really important at this moment uh, to to come together around these issues, and we ought to be able to do it. Congressman, one last question of substance, and then we'll get to the lightning round, which is why everybody actually listens. Um, no, just kidding. That was a joke. Uh, so, uh, what actually, do you make? I, I do get that feedback, by the way. But yes, go on. Um, so, Congressman, what do you make of the increased chatter about the potential for an Israel-Saudi normalization deal? Uh, are the Saudis asking too much, more than both the American government uh, and the Israeli government is willing to do, both on uh, nuclear technology and the Palestinian question? Uh, we've been hearing about this for a long time. Um, and do you, what do you think the prospects are for it to get... Uh, you know, anytime soon. Well, um, look, I believe if it's going to happen, then it's going to happen soon. I think uh, if there's if there's going to be a deal, uh, it's it's a deal that's going to have to just given the political realities of Washington. If there's going to be a deal, it, first it's got to be a deal that benefits the United States. One that that uh, enhances not just Israel's place in the world with the opportunity to to really uh, move forward on, on uh, looking toward an end to the Arab-Israeli conflict, uh, but that ensures Israel's security. Uh, and obviously the Saudis have um, have a list of, of things that they're looking for. It's gotta be in everyone's interest. 
uh, it's got to it's got to happen before we get too far into the political season. Uh, if it works for Israel, then the prime minister of Israel is going to have a key role to play here. I think the fact that that there there is an opportunity through this deal to really push back on China's uh, aggression and China's uh, attempt to to uh, play a larger role in the region, I think that will matter on Capitol Hill. I think um, I think if it's going to happen on the uh, the fact that this week we heard from. The Crown Prince of Saudi Arabia, who did an English language interview on Fox talking about uh, uh, how he views this at the same time that both the prime minister of Israel and the president talked about the opportunities. Uh, I think if there's a, a good deal, we're very I, I'm very excited. We're very bullish on on what it could mean. But but the the nuclear piece is obviously a, a, a big concern. It's too. We don't know the detail. No one knows the details yet on what this would look like and how to ensure Israel's security and and what uh, safeguards are in place and whether uranium needs to be enriched in Saudi or if it could be done uh, a different way. The, obviously, there's a there's a deal, a nuclear deal with UAE that that is structured that we all view as as the model, which unfortunately isn't the model in Iran. Uh, so I I think that um, if there's a nuclear energy piece that can get worked out. And uh, I don't know on the Palestinian, uh, the Israel-Palestinian issue, what that looks like, whether it's additional resources, whether it's a political horizon, we don't know. But uh, all of this, in order for it to work, is going to have to go to the U.S. Senate. And um, I'll look forward, certainly if if we get to the point where there is a, a deal that really could transform the region, Israel's place in, in the region and the world and the way the world views the Middle East, uh, I'll look forward to to engaging with with my former colleagues and friends, my former colleagues in the House, and my friends in the Senate, uh, to to um, uh, to make clear how we're viewing it. But it's it. The fact is, there is there is an enormous opportunity here. It does not come along very often. Uh, we cannot do anything unless it it serves the interests of the United States and protects Israel's security. Um, if if it's possible to do all that, however. Um, this could be a historic, uh, a historic agreement. All right, Congressman, the, the, the time we've all been waiting for, the lightning round. Uh, we're going to ask you a couple questions to kind of get you get to know you a little bit better as a person. Um, so we're going to start off with what is your favorite Yiddish word or phrase? And, and profanity is allowed as long as it's in Yiddish. <laughs> um, I... I I often find myself. This has been a problem throughout my political career as well. I find myself getting verklempt, so I'm going to go with verklempt. Verklempt's yeah. a good one. It's really and, and, it's and when appropriate you're time when you're year. feeling verklempt, uh, <laughs> what what uh, what kind of uh, Jewish food do you reach for? Ooh, nice segue, you? Rich. You should do this for a living, Rich. Well uh, done there. I um uh, I well, I don't know that I reach for them together, but I. Um, I do thoroughly enjoy a good garlicky half garlicky half sour pickle, Ooh, and um, that's new and a knish. Podcast. I like that um, knish uh, fried, not baked. No, you know, you make sense oh, for South Florida, but you really are a Chicagoan at heart, which is which is how I feel of many South Floridians. It it, it, it makes sense to me. My my father my father I know it's a lightning round but my father did grow up in Chicago and so I am really a Chicago. Yeah, yeah, Go ahead, Congressman. Have you ever me. been to Jonas Schimmel's Knishes on Houston Street? Uh, no, should I go tonight? Well, I think I, I'm happy to meet you there. They've been around since 1895, and they have about 30 okay. different kinds of Knishes there. It is fabulous. I think it's the best place to get a Knish. It's the UN of Knishes. <laughs> Hold on, let me let me write that down. Yeah, Go ahead. It's it's absolutely uh, fabulous. I think been around 1895, 1896, right on Houston, and it's one block from Russ and Daughters and one block from Katz's. So every once in a while, you will see somebody online with a bag of Russ and Daughters under one arm, right. a bag of right. Katz's on the other arm, and waiting for a condition on a shimmel. And that's that's a pretty amazing day. Um, that, that's an experience I'll look forward to sharing with you. Go ahead. Yeah. All right. Last one is. Uh, Oh, I I was going to ask you who is your favorite Secretary of State because you are the State Department of the Jewish People. Do you have a favorite historic <laughs> Secretary of State, or or the or your favorite Secretary of State of the Jewish People, if the, if such a position I, exists? <laughs> I don't know that position exists, but um, I don't. Um, that's such a that is such a good question. I don't know that I I have a 
favorite, I don't have a favorite secretary of state. I think um, particularly to the extent that this, sorry, this, I, it's my political, I, after all of, after all of my years uh, working so hard to avoid um, uh, partisanship, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to invite that conversation, <laughs> conversation now. I think any, I will say this though, um, as much as I have traveled this past year as uh, the CEO of American Jewish Committee, um, it pales in comparison to what all of our secretaries of state do. I have enormous respect for um, for the contributions they make and their, their dedication to the country. The key is to study sorry, people sorry, who have been dead for a hundred years, and then there's no there, once you've been dead for a while, everybody right loves you. That's it. Yeah, like S- Seward, like uh, you know, I just uh, go with Seward. That's a, that's a that's well, a safe that, bet. That's controversial. Uh, yeah, I know, I know, right. but you know, uh, yeah, I, yeah, I'm not sure that Seward is anyone's favorite. Yeah, right. go ahead. Yeah. All right, uh, Rich, you have one more. Uh, I would just ask, uh, do you have a favorite place in Israel that you like to go? I I do. I really uh, I I love on um, I love by the first station in Jerusalem the that long uh, walkway that promenade. Yeah. Um, uh, I love that walk on Shabbos afternoon and just the families and um, and the kids running around and. The, just the feeling of, of Shabbos in Jerusalem is amazing. And for those looking for places to stay in that neighborhood, if you're not doing an Airbnb, if you're looking upscale, the Orient Hotel nearby, if you're looking for something a little bit more affordable, look for the Don Boutique. Ted Deutsch, CEO of AJC, thank you so much for joining the podcast. I really enjoyed it. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. If you like this show, help us get the word out to other people. Subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And most importantly, tell your friends because it's the best recommendation we can get. Chag Sameach. And until next time, this is Jewish Insiders Podcast. Thanks for listening.